God, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness, that your love endures forever. God, we thank you that you have never given up on us, not even once, God. God, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy, your grace. That God, even when we were running from you, that you were chasing after us. That even when we cared not to know you, you pursued a relationship. God, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you, God, that you, that you did what we ourselves could not do. That you came to us, that you rescued us. God, we thank you for that. We, we pray that we would never get over that. God, we ask that your hand be upon us today as, as we seek you. God, I pray that we would leave changed by your word. Holy Spirit, work in us. Make us into who you want us to be. God, may our words May the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. God, may you be praised. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. I just uh, I want to say thank you to our worship team. How awesome were they this morning? Yeah, I mean, our worship pastor, Josh, uh, had a procedure and was out of commission, and, and you guys with uh, such gifted uh, talents and, and just hearts for the Lord, thank you guys so much for leading us in that. Uh, today is the Sunday before Easter. It is Palm Sunday, and that means that Easter is next Sunday. It's next Sunday. And uh, it's going to be an awesome day at Highland Hills. We are going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The elementary age children in the alley and the little ones in Wonderland are going to be having their own Easter celebrations as well. And so we are really excited. We hope that you have made plans to join us uh, next week. Um, I, I know that we're going to be having uh, donuts and juice and coffee and all kinds of things uh, out there, right out there in the hall, uh, beginning at 10 a.m. Uh, next week. And so uh, we want to encourage you, bring a friend, bring, uh, bring all your friends. Uh, come, at, come at 10 and celebrate our risen Savior. Uh, today is what we call Palm Sunday, and, and this is the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem with his disciples to celebrate the upcoming Passover festival. He rides into the city on the back of a donkey. 
And as he's coming down from the, the Mount of Olives, people line the road to watch this triumphant processional. They throw their coats on the road and, and they wave palm branches, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. On Thursday, he would sit and enjoy one last meal with the 12 disciples in the upper room. With events having been set in motion a long time ago, Jesus would be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane mere hours after that. Last week we looked at how Judas Iscariot and an armed mob of men arrested Jesus and handed him over to the Jewish authorities. After appearing before Annas, the father-in-law of the current chief priest, Caiaphas, the, the current chief priest as well as the Sanhedrin, comprised of priests and elders and scribes and other leaders, after enduring false testimonies and false witnesses, Jesus is charged with blasphemy and handed over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the region, to have him carry out the sentence. We saw how Pilate, he questioned Jesus, and Jesus calmly answers his questions. He hadn't once spoken up prior to that point to defend himself against their claims. Jesus had remained silent as they had hurled accusations at him. And Pilate was amazed. He was used to guilty people standing in front of him and never stopping defending themselves. He was used to criminals claiming innocence. And here was Jesus who spoke with confidence as, as one who had nothing to lose. Jesus' testimony revealed that he is a king with a kingdom. This man, Jesus Christ, was no threat to the Roman government. He wasn't a threat to Caesar. So in an attempt to release him in looking for a way out, Pilate, Pilate offers the Jewish crowd a choice. It had been the custom to release a prisoner at the time of the Passover festival, a prisoner that the people wanted. And so Pilate finds a doozy. He finds an insurrectionist who is guilty of murder named Barabbas. This guy is a criminal through and through. The people are presented with a choice between a guilty man and an innocent man. A man who has done nothing wrong and a felon. One who has killed and one who is looking to save. And yet his name is Barabbas. How interesting that the people would be presented a choice between the Son of God, the one who says and does the will of the Father, and one whose name actually means the Son of the Father but actually looks nothing like him. In Matthew 27, we see the chief priests and the elders, they persuade the crowds to ask for Barabbas to execute Jesus. And beginning in verse 21, it says, The governor asked them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, What should I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? They answered, Crucify him. Then he said, Why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him, crucify him. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Messiah who was foretold, the one who was and is and is to come, is sentenced to death. He takes the place of the criminal Barabbas. He is condemned and Barabbas walks free. See, we don't know what happens to Barabbas after he's released. We aren't told, but we can say for certain that he was one of the first to experience freedom through Christ taking his place. And in that way, we identify with Barabbas. I am the sinner. I am convicted. We are guilty. He's innocent. Not only does Jesus live the life that we could not live, but he dies the death that we deserve to die. And so today, we're going to pick up right where we left off in the story. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. If you have a smartphone, you can find the notes and scriptures from today in the YouVersion Bible app. Just look for Highland Hills Church under the events tab. But today we're going to John chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 16 this morning. John 19, 16 is where we're going to start today. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. But this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, that, the, that they said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. The Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans, they perfected it. They made it into an institution, one that would make victims die publicly in front of everybody and thus serve as a deterrent for anybody who might even consider committing the same crime. It was reserved for the worst criminals and the lowest classes. It was so awful, that, so uh, degrading that upstanding Romans, they wouldn't talk about it in public. The Roman statesman Cicero once said, It is a crime to bind a Roman citizen. To scourge him is an act of weakness or an act of wickedness. To execute him is almost murder. What shall I say of crucifying him? An act so abominable, it is impossible to find any word adequately to express. It was slow and torturous. Nails put into flesh, flesh ripped from bone. Tacitus, the famous Roman historian, he said that it was torture fit only for slaves. It was meant to cause great pain and humiliation. Matthew tells us in his account that those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Imagine being stripped down and put through excruciating pain. That's where we get that word, right? Excruciate. It's derived from the Latin word for cross. And it is meant to describe the pain and the torment that one finds in crucifixion. Imagine that, being stripped down to nakedness and hung on a cross and put through excruciating pain. And then not only having people gather around to watch, but to heckle. They're standing around, they're milling around, they're passing by, and they're shouting insults as the one on the cross does everything that they can do to cling to life. Of course, the insults and humiliation started much earlier, though. Verse 17 of our passage says, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. This was an event the Romans, they liked to parade the condemned through the city. They tried to make it as long as possible so that everyone could see and take part. They would force each man to carry his own cross, and this usually meant just the cross piece, the patibulum. But after being scourged and beaten extensively, Jesus is weak, and so Matthew tells us that he carries it for as long as he can until they find a man in the crowd. He's from Cyrene. His name is Simon, and they force him to carry it. 
We're not certain how long this processional was, but we do know that it ends at a place called the skull, Golgotha. And so there Jesus is, hung between two common thieves. A sign above him in three different languages, reading, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, this was God's plan from the beginning. This death, this manner in which it would all take place, prophecies written about it, scripture fulfilled, nothing is left to chance here. This was the death that Jesus was meant to die. This was the plan. So the first thing we need to see here today is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. From the beginning, this was the plan. God had a plan from the very beginning that his perfect, righteous son would die for the imperfect, would die for the unrighteous. Ever since the very moment that sin enters the world in the garden, God is about the business of making a way. And so even back in the Garden of Eden, what does God do in response to Adam and Eve's sin? What does he do in response specifically to the their nakedness. He covers them with skins of an animal. He covers over their nakedness. We don't know what kind of animal that God used on that day. I have a feeling, though, that it is a lamb. In Genesis 22, Abraham is tested by God. God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Do you think that God might have had Jesus in mind as he tells Abraham to take his one and only son, his son whom he loves, and sacrifice him on a mountaintop? We can't help but think about Jesus walking the streets with his cross as Isaac bears the wood for the sacrifice up to Mount Moriah. It says, as the two of them, they go up together, Isaac speaks up to his father. He says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And he did. And he did. In Exodus 12, the last of the ten plagues, the the final one, the death of the firstborn. Every firstborn male in Egypt was to die. And, and this, the very first Passover, the one that Jesus and his disciples had come to town to celebrate, this, this first Passover, God tells the Israelites to slaughter a lamb, one per household, and to put the blood of the lamb on the door frames of their houses. Moses, he summons all the elders of Israel and he says to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of your doorframe. 
None of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and on the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Hyssop, the very same plant used to give Jesus a drink on the cross. They dip a sponge in the wine and they put it on hyssop and they give it to him. And in Exodus, they dip hyssop in the blood and the blood covers them. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was sent by God to be the sacrifice, the sacrifice that would die in our place. He would die instead of me. He would die instead of you. He is the Lamb of God. The second thing we need to see today is that he is our atonement. He is our atonement. Each and every year on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, as the Israelites called it, the high priest would offer a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. That is, that he would enter the Holy of Holies, the, the part of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was held, and he would offer a sacrifice to God to make things right between God and man. Year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice, countless animals are slain in an effort to appease God, yet all of this bloodshed never actually saves anyone. It just pushes back punishment for sin. It pushes back the wrath of God until a later date. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This, this would be the day of reckoning. Jesus hung on a cross, the final sacrifice. God presented Christ as the atoning sacrifice. The apostle John, he writes, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. He is our atonement. We have payment for sin. He is our atonement. We have forgiveness. We have been made right with God through his shed blood on the cross. This is the good news about the cross. Our God was pleased, not in being separated by his son, from his son whom he loves, not by standing and watching him endure such pain or watching others uh, totally condemn him and heckle him. No, he is pleased by the completion of the mission, the mission to reconcile us to God, that those who would be far from him would be brought near the mission to rescue sinners in the last verse of our passage this morning it says when he had received the drink jesus said it is finished with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit this three-word phrase that jesus uttered his final three words it's actually one word in the Greek, the word is tetelestai. 
It's a form of the verb to leo, which means to finish. But there is something very special about this word, and I don't want you to miss it. See, Greek was the language of the Mediterranean world. It was the language of the Mediterranean world, and as one might imagine, there was a lot of buying and selling of goods that happened in this culture. Imports and exports alike would be sold in the agora or marketplace. And when a merchant or seller received payment, they would put this word on the bill of sale, tetelestai. In fact, tetelestai actually appears on many receipts from the first and second century. What does this word mean, tetelestai? Paid in full. It is finished. The debt has been paid. The score is settled. The terms have been met. It is fulfilled. It is paid in full. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he is our atonement. The last thing we need to say to see today is that he is our Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. Similar to the word to telestai, to redeem something meant to buy out. To buy out usually in reference to purchasing a, a slave's freedom. One would be uh, ransomed. And in doing so, that person would be set free. Friends, that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. His death meant life for you and for me. His blood paid our ransom and we are set free. He is our Redeemer. This is an unspeakable gift that we have been given, that our king, our king would die for us. He would die for you and for me. But what makes it even greater is that it's done. Because we have a redeemer, we have been redeemed. Anytime you and I don't feel worthy, don't feel lovable, Anytime you and I believe those lies that Satan speaks to us, we can just look at those, those simple words, it is finished. And that tells us everything we ever needed to know. That we have a redeemer and his work is sufficient. The author of Hebrews reminds us what it was like. He says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Hallelujah. From this moment on, there would never, ever need to be another drop of blood shed. There is nothing else to do. The war is over. The work is done. You and I do not have to earn. We do not have to earn what has already been purchased by Christ's precious blood on the cross. There is nothing that you and I can do that Christ has not already done. 
To somehow try and earn God's favor or blessing is to deem Christ's all-sufficient work as somehow insufficient. That it would not be complete. But there, there is truth in this. It is complete. There is nothing needed. It is finished and it cannot be undone. Satan is crushed. Our Lord has rescued us from the clutches of hell. Hallelujah. Will you pray with me today? God, we thank you. That you, that you, God, have saved us. This is not of ourselves, God. That for those of us who maybe are here and wondering, what must I do to be saved? Nothing. We accept it. We turn to you and take hold of what you have done. We receive grace and mercy from you, the one who loved us and gave yourself up for us. God, we thank you that you were our substitution, that you were our propitiation of sins, that you took our place, and that you, that you completed it. That we would never have to wonder whether God loves us you made a way that we would never have to wonder if we have done enough you Christ have done enough you did it all so God we thank you we thank you that we have been made right We thank you that you have paid it all. We thank you that we are covered by your blood. We thank you for the cross. God, Such love. What wondrous love is this? May we live with that in mind. May each day, may we enter each day with that in mind. That not only you would give yourself for me and for, for our church, but God, that you would give yourself for the whole world. You are our atonement for sins. You are our redeemer. We praise you both now and forever. Amen. In the upper room.